what God has put on my heart to talk with you about tonight is simply this, that whatever style of church we are from in the Christian Reformed denomination, whatever area we're in, in Elmhurst or Plainfield or Wheaton or Lombard or in the city of Chicago, all of us, every one of us, individually, as families and as churches, are called to be a blessing on the scale of the blessing we have received. And I know that the general theme for, for your mission emphasis is out of Isaiah 55 that says, my word will not return to me empty. Well, the word for tonight that does not return empty in any way is the word that comes initially to us out of Genesis 12. Very familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of you. It's the text to <clears throat> Abraham from God at his primary calling when he's called out of Ur the Chaldees to go on this journey to a place he did not yet know. And God said to him in Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. From the very beginning, God's call to the people of God, who are uniquely identified by him to be in a certain place and time, where they were called uniquely to be blessed and then to be a blessing on the scale of the blessing they had received. And that theme, that calling, and that blessing reverberates through the years of time and space and of geography, and even of denominations, to us sitting here today on March 8th in Elmhurst, Illinois. We have been blessed in so many ways, and we're called to be a blessing. What does it mean to be a blessing? Well, it's not what we say when somebody sneezes and you say, bless you. That's not what we mean. It's not what they mean when sometimes in the deep south of uh, the United States, where they give maybe a little dig at a person, where they say, you know, that, that lady, she has just no taste in shoes, bless her heart. You know that say? That's not what it means. The idea of blessing is quite simply the idea of, of desiring a deep happiness and favor and even that, that Hebrew word shalom, that deep sense of wellness and wholeness to be a part of a person's life. And in light, of course, of the New Testament, of the coming of Christ, the desire for blessing is the desire for redemption. For a person, for the very first time, to own and accept that they are not their own, but belong body and soul and life and death to Jesus Christ, and to surrender the knee before Christ as Savior and leader and Lord. And if you've ever had the opportunity to listen to the story of somebody who's come to faith in Christ, there is nothing more compelling. Because what it does is it, it draws us back to the blessing we've received that they are now finally owning for themselves. And if you've ever had the opportunity to walk with a person on that journey, what a joy it is. Just though a week and a half ago, I had the privilege over the phone to share the basic gospel message with an individual who in all her life had thought that the only way to be accepted by God was to be a really good person. And that, you know, if you've talked to people that way, they're so filled with guilt. 
This individual's near the end of her life. I was able to say to her, but by the grace of God, you can be freed of your guilt to know the blessing of God, to have an assurance, a rock-solid assurance of where you go when you die. What a joy to be able to share that over and over again. There's nothing better. We are blessed. And whether you've been a believer for a short time or a very long time, it doesn't matter. We need to return to that sense and understanding and appreciation of what it is that God has done for us. And it's out of that that comes our calling to be a blessing in the neighborhoods in which God has placed us in. And so your neighborhood is the area, the street in which you live, the community in which you you find yourself, the job that you work at, the school you attend, the exact area and location geographically where God has put you, and specifically with the individuals that God has put in your life. At Centerpoint, we're doing a little exercise this year. It's a challenge for us this entire year, and that is to identify three people specifically on whom God has placed, who God has placed on our hearts to be a blessing toward, to have a keen sense of the blessing we have received and then to strive to be a blessing in kind to that person. And so for the sake of tonight's message, I want to ask and challenge you to think about three people that God has uniquely put in your life, especially who don't know Christ or who have drifted away from him. It can be a family member, it can be a neighbor, a coworker. It could be somebody that you talk to on a regular basis when you go shopping. How is it that God would call you to be a blessing to that person? Now understand, when we talk again about being a blessing, that we first receive the blessing in ourselves. We don't live by, and these are phrases that I have never liked, we don't live by luck, by knocking on wood, by crossing your fingers, or by your lucky stars. We live uniquely by the blessing that comes from God through Jesus Christ, who forgives us our sins and gives us redemption. And it's out of that that we have the compelling urge, calling, and opportunity to be a blessing to others around us. Psalm 67 carries that same idea, doesn't it? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on the earth. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. I could have had opportunity, I suppose, to go and do this work of blessing and mission overseas. And as you know, I have traveled and done some of that. But God's calling in my life, and clearly God's calling in your life because you're here today, is to be a blessing here in North America, which, by the way, is becoming one of the most difficult mission fields that there is. And that call to be a blessing is so important in a culture and a society that is becoming increasingly postmodern, post-Christian. When I first planted uh, or did my uh, church planning work at Christ Community in the early 90s, we were a generation closer yet of people who still had some sense and understanding of what faith is all about. We're now another generation removed. If you talk to people in the neighborhoods, there are more people than ever before, who don't even really recall the basic tenets of faith. 
We've had people come to Centerpoint who don't know, on, who come on Easter, who don't even know that Easter is really about the resurrection of Jesus. That's unfamiliar to them. Hard to imagine if you've been in church all your life, but that is the truth. The calling challenge for us is growing exponentially more important and more challenging. Back in the early church, it wasn't very easy either. This idea from Genesis 12 that you will be blessed, but you will also be a blessing, this, this theme that runs through Scripture, this, this missional theme, was very difficult in the early church. In fact, a man named Michael Frost, who's a scholar and a preacher, was talking about how uh, the people in the early church were trying to live out their faith by blessing their neighbors around them, being, being very integrated into the communities that they were in. But the emperor was very challenged by that and, and hated the Christians, was trying to undercut them every way he could, but he saw it was getting increasingly difficult because what he saw is that the Christians did the opposite of what people in the culture did. You see, in that time, the slaves were treated terribly. Women were treated awfully. And there were just so many people who were pushed to the outskirts. The sick were left to die. And along came the Christians who treated the slaves with grace and kindness, who treated women with dignity, who treated the sick with attention and care. And the emperor was trying to undercut the Christian life, the Christian, uh, Growth, And so he challenged people in, his, in the empire to rise to the level of the Christians, to outlove the Christians, but they couldn't because their motivation wasn't the same. Because the motivation for believers has always been what we have received. It is the grace that we have been given out of which we strive to give grace. Now that fits very well with our Reformed theology. It fits right with the covenantal language of Genesis 12. But it's putting that to practice that is our challenge. There is an acronym with the word bless that if we had more time I would unpackage all of, but I'm only going to focus on one of them tonight and take you to another text in the New Testament that helps us to do that. The acronym for bless stands for begin with prayer, begin with prayer, then listen to others by asking good questions. So if you think of those three people, you begin by praying for them, then you listen to them by asking good questions of them to get to know them well. The E simply stands for eating with them to spend time more face-to-face, closer with them, over coffee, or as I love to, over ice cream. Serving them and sharing your faith with them. Those are the kind of things that over time allow you to be a blessing as you have been blessed by God himself. Tonight we'll focus on just the first of them, begin with prayer. And this is absolutely critical. If we're going to bless and be on mission in the neighborhoods God has called us to be in. This is the sort of work, by the way, that happens on the mission field all around. But this is our mission field. In the book of Colossians, Paul, this is our second text, Colossians chapter 4. In in the book of Colossians, Paul has just unpackaged for us one of the most wonderful explanations of the supremacy and the sovereignty of Christ. And then he goes from there to some very practical instructions and guidance for the people. And then he ends by asking for prayer for himself. And this is what he says in Colossians 4, verse 2 to 6. 
He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. First of all, take a look at the text. It says, devote yourself to prayer. This is serious business. This is not something to do flippantly, quickly, or once. This is something you commit yourself to over the long haul. And the reason why Paul says to ask, why Paul asked the people to devote themselves to prayer is so that a door that is currently closed will open. Do you see that in the text? There's a door that is closed. There are some doors that frankly will not open with anything other than prayer or primarily with prayer. I remember in my first ministry in South Holland at Cottage Grove Church, I had my office facing the house that we lived in. And I was working at my desk, and my daughter, who was only about three years old at the time, came walking across the parking lot and knocked on my door. And I thought, that's really strange. She's only three years old. Normally, my wife would never let her go out alone. So I went to the door, and she said, hey, Daddy. I said, hey, Janine, how are you? Good. I said, Go, go back home to mommy, okay? Okay. And she walked back, and I watched her walk back across to her house. And then she turned around, and she came back, and she knocked on the door. Hi, Daddy. And at this point, I thought, there's something not right. So I walked with her back to the house, went inside, and I found inside of our bedroom a lot of noise going on, and it was my wife who was inside the closet and was stuck there. Because one of the kids had closed the door, and the doorknob on the inside was broken. It just turned freely. And my wife, who's desperately claustrophobic, was having a terrible time. (laughs) This is the kind of thing that we're talking about. And maybe you can identify it in your neighborhoods with the three people that you've now identified. That it seems like the doorknob just keeps turning. You're not even sure where to start. And when you do, trying to bridge to a conversation that is spiritual in any way, it's just hard. God never said it would be easy. And by the way, the work that the missionaries do overseas is not easy either. And you and I are called to be missionaries. It is through the prayer that we begin with on this journey of being missionaries in our backyard. It is through this devoted time of prayer that the Spirit of God begins to work and open those doors. Prayer is needed, by the way, to open the door of my selfish heart. Because in my selfish heart, I love to be blessed. Every Sunday at Centerpoint, even though we're a quite contemporary style church, I give the blessing of Aaron from from, uh, Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. And I see the faces of the people who have just come to love that blessing. Their faces turned up, their smile on their face. We love to be blessed. And in the world that we live in that is so full of hurt and the void in people's lives, we crave that blessing. But part of the prayer that Paul asked, I know I need to pray for to pray for my own selfishness because I love to receive. 
but I can be awfully stingy in giving back. God has called us to be a blessing as we have been blessed. We're not to keep it to ourselves. So the first prayer for me has to be the prayer that God will open my selfish heart. The second prayer is that God will open my friend's closed heart. Because that's just about always where it starts. There is something, some barrier that has kept that person from receiving, accepting, or wanting to hear about Christ. It can be the the religion that they grew up with. It can be the lack of religion in their household. It can be an early experience in the church that for them was negative for one reason or another. Who knows what it is? The influence of their peers, the impact of going to college in an academic setting that rejects Christ. On and on it goes. And every once in a while I come across somebody who's just angry with God. The circumstances of their life, medical happenings, financial, relational, whatever it is, they have an interior blockage against Christ. And so the devotion of prayer, first of all, for me, is after praying about my selfishness, is to pray for their openness. To ask God specifically to turn their animosity to a curiosity. And to be intentional about that prayer while I continue to develop the conversation and the relationship with them, to ask God to soften the heart. The truth is that none of us can do that. There hasn't been a single time in all my years of sharing faith with people where I have ever successfully opened the heart of a person. It's all the Spirit of God. I'm called to be an integral part of it, but it is the work of God. Prayer is what God uses to break through. The third thing, that we're called to do is to pray that God would open the heart of cultural awkwardness. Now let's go back to Paul for just a minute. Speaking of awkward, the book of Colossians, many of you may know, is written in a time which Paul is imprisoned. Now we're not quite sure if it's house arrest or in a jail cell with shackles on him. But in either case, it had to have been an awkward setting for Paul, who's a missionary at heart, to start conversations with the jailers, with people who come to visit. It's just an awkward setting. And the, and the Roman centurions and governors and people who would be around him would be so disinclined to listen to him because the status of the Roman Empire was negative toward Christianity. And being an official of the Roman government would have made it very difficult to bridge that. That awkwardness was in place, deeply set. And Paul says, pray that I may proclaim the message clearly as I should. Do you see that in the text? That I can proclaim the message clearly as I should. We need to be in prayer that God will bridge and open the door of cultural awkwardness. And in our setting today, In 2015, the reality is this, that we talk a whole lot in our society about cultural openness, tolerance, and yet we all know that the point of intolerance comes when we talk about the exclusive claims of Christ on our life, when we talk about needing to be saved by grace and not by our own efforts, when we introduce person to the superiority of Jesus Christ over any other and the need to surrender the knee and bow before him, right? Those are the challenges. Those are the difficulties. And what we need to be in deep prayer for is that God will bridge 
that cultural awkwardness and create a sense of openness to those difficult discussions that are important for us to have in talking about those issues. Often it doesn't begin there, but that's where we pray to go. Paul said, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And then he says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Why does he say that? Be wise in the way that you act. As I go around my neighborhood, I can't get away from the fact that my neighbors know that I'm a pastor. I sometimes try to hide that fact because they talk to me different. I mean, he's the pastor, right? So I try to just be a neighbor in my neighborhood and hope that conversations can happen. But here's what I know. I know that they're watching me. I know that they're watching how I speak. They're watching how I act. They're observing and they're judging whether my actions are consistent with my words. And if people in your neighborhood and in your job and in your school and in your settings who are not believers know that you are one, it's no different for you. When Paul says be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders, he's challenging you as he's challenging me to live a life of such consistency, not perfect by any means, but authentic and real and dedicated and committed. And it begins by praying that God will help us to be those things. And then along the way, as the opportunity arises and you begin those conversations with those three people God has put on your heart, you've been praying for them for a while, one of the simplest and most natural ways to bridge to spiritual conversation is this. To say to them along the way, when they tell you something they're struggling with, to simply say, I will pray for you. You see the importance of prayer again? Or to ask them the question, how can I pray for you? And to let that be one of the great bridges to spiritual conversation. I was reminded of that not that long ago by uh, one of the men in our church who has been praying for an individual that he works with for some time. He was on a trip with him to California, and uh, this man's daughter, he's not a believer in any sense of the word, this man's daughter had had some intestinal issues, serious intestinal issues, about which he was very concerned. And, and the guy from our church, his name is Jeff, had said to him, I'm going to be praying for your daughter, and I'm going to ask my church to pray for her. What a cool bridge. What an opening of a door. Now it's some months later, and they're in California, sitting over lunch, and they're having a conversation, and Jeff asks him, so how's your daughter doing now? And he says to Jeff, she's doing much better. It's, it's remarkable how much better. We're so grateful. And Jeff said, well, I'm glad to hear that. You know that our church has been praying for her for the last several months? And he said, oh, come on. So he pulled up his, out his smartphone, and he went down to the prayer email that we send out every week, and he showed it to him. And this man, who's a business executive with military experience, sat in the restaurant and started to cry. He said, I can't believe that you guys would do that. And something changed in that man that day, and Jeff told me that a little bit later on, he said to him, do you know that we have started going to church now? 
that we've actually started to take faith seriously because of what you did and shared? You know, we get so used to this culture of prayer in the Christian Reformed Church that it becomes kind of just the routine of our lives. We need to get back to what Paul talked about. The devotion to a prayer life that is so intentional and heartfelt and compelling that begins with gratitude for the blessing that God has given to us and then translates into, and God, how can I be? How are you calling me? Not are you, but how are you calling me to be a blessing in somebody's life this week? And I will do it. The Lord says, I will bless you. And I will make you to be a blessing. And when God says that, he is not giving to us an option whether or not we should. He's only calling us to identify through prayer how and who and when we should. May God bless you and cause you to be a blessing.